with Ryan Bray. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, uh, context, Jared said I'm the youth pastor for the largest youth group in the world, but I'm a Navy chaplain, so they sort of Camp Pendleton, and I have about you know, 5,000 Marines, average age of 20 in my youth group, so it's a bunch of kids with guns. <laughs> this place. Um, my name is Ryan. Good morning. It's, it's good to be back. We flew in from Germany last week. Uh, I, the Navy moves us all around, so thank you to you taxpayers for showing us the whole, the whole world. I come with my with my best friend, my wife Jeanette here. People think she's in the youth group, but she's not. We're, we're actually we're actually adults. But uh, when I was in, when I was in Germany, um, I was, my boss said, "Hey, there's a training in California. Why don't you go to that so you can travel home and make government's dollar?" I was like, sure, you're a genius. Yes. So I told Jared um, and Gary that I was coming back, and he says, hey, we're doing this type of series. Why don't you speak on healing from grief? And I was like, it's perfect. And then I look at the calendar, and I was like, 26, 26 June. What happened on the 26th of June? I was like, oh, my gosh. That was like one year after my dad died. So there's no such thing as a coincidence, right? In my mind, it's a God incidence. So I am here, I guess. I'm seeing different old faces, old, not old faces, my lovely old friends. Um, yeah, one year. Many of you in this room were in at the memorial service for my dad a year ago. We were all in a room together. So this is, there's no, there's no coincidence, only God incidences. And uh, I've never struggled so much with preparing a sermon before. I've never poured over so much because I don't want to say the wrong thing. You know what? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a sacred space here to preach the word of God. It's it's for a purpose. It's to open the word of God and to and to proclaim the gospel that people can hear a message of hope. And I don't want it to turn like take advantage of our Catholic bodies and put forth some some political agenda or some dogmatic theology or. Anything other than preaching the word of God and comforting those who grieve. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, with that, can I just ask us to take a moment to take a, just, just a deep breath? And, and my friends, we are one breath closer to meeting the Lord. Our days are numbered. There's a Latin phrase, memento mori. It says, that, remember that you will die one day. And that's actually from the scriptures. The first scripture I'd like to, to share with you is Psalm 90, 12. It says this. The psalm says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Like we're not meant to be here forever. Someone told me once that this is just, this is just a layover. <laughs> Who cares about the layover? It's all about the destination. We're on a destination as believers in Jesus Christ to get back to the Father. That was the whole purpose of Jesus as our peace. I come so you can get back to the Father. It wasn't even getting to heaven. It's, it's to the Father. Father is the, the, the goal there. So with that, I want to introduce you to something that I've learned. It's called uh, relational prayer. And, and it, goes, it goes like this. Um, 
you can actually, if you want to pray with me, it's a relational prayer. So, dear Lord, do you know what it's like to be in my shoes? Or do you know what it's like to go through pain, to grieve, to suffer loss? Or do you know what it's like to be robbed, to face some sort of injustice? Because this is what I'm feeling, Lord. And so if you can relate to me, Lord, would you just speak to me, would you reveal to me everything that, that, that you can relate to? And I look for your comfort. Amen. So as the Lord continues to, to speak to you uh, throughout the day, throughout this next 30 minutes that we have together, may he, may he teach you um, that he, he understands, that he understands you. Where's the best place to stand here, right? Right there. Okay. May he continue to reveal that to you. Um, and when I prayed that for the first time, he started to reveal to me a lot of things that just blew my mind. And I started thinking to myself, God, God knows exactly what it's like. One passage that my wife shared with me yesterday was Isaiah 53, where, where this, this Messiah, he says, uh, if Isaiah 53, 4, yet he himself bore our sickness, he carried our pains, and we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, afflicted. You go to verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth, like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shears. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his faith? And he goes on and on to all these things that, that the Messiah can relate. So I'm, I'm going to preach the word today. I've poured over and, and I got a lot of scripture to share. But in order for you to understand where I'm coming from and, and the depth of my wounds and, and the pain, I'm going to read you into my story a little bit. Um, I'm going to let you know why, why it's there. And so let me just read you, you the passage. We have one verse for today and a, a bunch of other verses to unpack it. But here, here's the, the verse. It's, it's Matthew uh, 5, chapter 4. Matthew 5, chapter 4, and it's the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's the passage. Blessed are those who mourn, that they shall be comforted. Um, I, I'm just, I'm sharing my story. This is just one story, but I know, I know very well that within this room, there are so many stories of pain and grief. The experts define grief as those mix of emotions that happen when something changes. So if you lost a dog, that's a change, and that's grief. If you've ever moved, I mean, people in the military here, we just have to get up and go and move. That's one of the most overlooked forms of grief. Um, how many of you in here have lost a loved one? Right, just by show of hands. How many of you felt that that loss of a loved one happened way too soon? If you feel like what I felt, I felt like I got robbed. My dad was only 66 years old. There's all types of grief in this room. When I was working here at, at Pendleton, uh, from from 2019 to 21, it was the craziest time. I I was a part of, led, or was involved in about 25 memorials. There was you know those floating tanks that the Marines call it AEDs, the Appendix Assault Vehicle, in 2020, the summer of 2020, where it sunk right off the coast of San Clemente Island, and it went down and took it took out nine service members, eight Marines and a corpsman. 
and fast forward to the next summer, that was that was my regiment that I was in. The same regiment, First Marine Regiment, 2021 in the summer, the Marines of Second Battalion First Marines were at the Abbey Gate in Afghanistan, and then we lost ten service. Mm. Just within our regiment, it was thirteen total. But but uh, but from within our regiment, uh, nine Marines died in one corner, one sailor. And I'm still in contact with the parents that are the funerals for it. And there's just so much grief, right? And this is the number one argument for the atheists. They call it the problem of pain. If God is all, all powerful, omniscient, and if he's all loving, omnibenevolent, then how in the world can he let all this happen? This is their number one argument. Right. It's a bad argument because God is not limited to what we're capable of understanding. That's transcendence. He thinks way beyond us. And there's a purpose for pain. There's a purpose for your pain, there's a purpose for my pain. I'll just let the cat out of the bag right now. It's to get our eyes back on the Lord. Yes. It's for us to connect as, as people. And this is just the layover. Yeah. It's not about this place. My, if our eyes are kingdom focused, there's something greater going on. And this pain is just temporal. But since, you know, there's in this room, there's probably people of, of various denominational backgrounds various uh, socioeconomic backgrounds. There's, there's so much diversity within this group, but one thing we all have in common, if you live life long enough, if you live life long enough, you'll experience pain, hurt, grief, loss. And so what do you do with that pain? One of my favorite authors, Father Richard Rohr, he says this, that, that pain not transformed is often transferred. What does that mean? That means sometimes I'll be, like we just did a trip uh, a couple weeks ago for spring break to, to Nuremberg. We were in Stuttgart's, about a couple hour drive. And I remember I was just being so mean and so just almost canceled the whole trip. And then and then my, my wife was being gracious and around the dinner table she said, let's, let's go on the table and explain, uh, let's just in one word how you're doing or, or explain you know, your, what's going on. And I was like, I'm not to do this, I'm not angry. And then it hit me. And then my word was mourning. I'm mourning, and I'm. And deflection is taking anger out on innocent people, right? But this is what happens when we don't transform our pain; it gets transferred, and it's often like the engine light. You know, it's like anger is like a grace gift. It's like an engine light. Have you ever been driving and you see that annoying red light flashing? Well, we can do two options: we can cover it, put a bandaid over it. I don't want to see it anymore. I can punch that light and make sure it's gone, or I can say, you know what? Something's telling me to pull over. And I need to pull over, pop the hood, maybe grab a subject matter expert to, to say, hey, what's going on? Oh, this is what's going on. In my year of, of grief, I, I received all kinds of advice. And one of the advice that I heard was, was um, you know, Ryan, uh, time heals wounds. But I found out that's not true. Sort of like I got, if I got a flat tire, time's not going to heal that. It, it, it doesn't. And your grief lasts only as long as the person you love is gone. And maybe there's a reason why in the book of Revelation that, that God will wipe away every tear. Maybe the tears last all the way up until the point where we stand before the Lord and he goes, there you go. And so what's the purpose of pain? What's the purpose of suffering? If God's all loving and all powerful, why doesn't he stop it? There's blessing. There's blessing in suffering. One of my other... Uh, favorite pastors is uh, Pastor Matt Chandler. This is at, at the heart of every issue is, is an issue of the heart. 
So here, here's, let me confess to you, one of my distractions is, is in the midst of my grief, and I'll tell you my story, I've been distracted with what's going on around me, and I flip on the news, and I see what's going on in the world, and I forget what's going on inside me. And if the heart of every issue is the issue of the heart, which Jesus is the one that taught us that, he said the lust, that's not, that's really a heart issue. Because yeah. a man thinketh in, in his heart, so he, he is. And so I often get, just get so wrapped up with what's going on around me, what's going on in the world, if I flip on the news and I totally forget what's going on inside me. And if God is pursuing my heart and what's inside me, I have to come back to this. Um, I want to just spend uh, just a handful of minutes reading you into my story, okay? And then, and then promise we're going to spend the rest of the time diving into this word, okay? So here goes. May 22nd. It was a Sunday, 2021. Um, I got a call from my dad. And he goes, hey, son, I got, uh, I got COVID. And, and my first reaction is, who cares, right? That doesn't matter. That is a 99% survivability rate. And the reason why I'm so um, well-versed on, on uh, COVID and all these things is because every single Marine and sailor who wanted a religious exemption for the vaccine had to go through my office. They had to go through me. I was the very first signature. And with 5,000 people in the, in the camp, four, four or 5,000 people, that's a lot of reading. So I got really smart and really read into this thing really fast. And it happened fast, but it never stopped. For two years, I was getting dialed in, and people would give me their packages. And they'd be thick, right? They'd be, hey, here's my package. Can, can you read this? Chaps, can you? And I'd, I'd, I'd go through. And holy smokes, I was learning so much. I learned about HGK 293 and the Baby Speed of Sublines, and I learned about the Bears reports and all these things. Like, I was overwhelmed. It also made me kind of, I don't know, callous to when I would adhere to people. Here's, here's my thing, and, and like I said, this is, this is probably the most controversial thing I'll say is, 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 in, my, is in my story, because the purpose is to preach the Word of God, but a lot of the things that happened in 2020 2021, for me, honestly, just didn't pass the logic test. Do you know what I mean? There was like red flags early on, and I was like, this is not lining up, this is not making sense. And every time someone would drop their package in front of me, I would say, this is really not making sense. This is really not making sense. What's going on here? So, all, all that to say, when my dad says, yeah, I got COVID, I said, it's not, it's not deadly. And you'll be fine, you'll be fine. But he gets a fever, and he goes to the hospital, and then my mom takes him to Kaiser um, Irvine, and then Irvine says, hey, take some vitamins here, whatever, just rest, just go home and rest. So he goes and rest, but his fever is bad, and he goes back at day 15, because I asked my mom for her journal, and so now I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it just recently. I'm looking at all the things, and I'm learning... Um, they give him on day 15, they give him a drug, and you can look, you can look this up, okay? There's a drug called remdesivir. Anybody heard of this? Yeah, drug. Um, I didn't know anything about it. Some doctors say you do not give this thing over 15 days after the fact. It's an early on drug. President Trump was given remdesivir right off the bat, but, but uh, it, it can be actually. It could be detrimental. According to some studies, we give it at this time. So that didn't make sense. And then it, it, uh, some say it induces pneumonia, and that's what you got. You got pneumonia. And some say it shuts down your kidneys, and then, and then uh, it shut down his kidneys. And then uh, I, I also learned in my study that people give me this stuff, right? 
just looks falling in my lap. In the New England Medical Journal, Remdesivir killed 53% of its patients in the trials. Like, what's up with that? And the timing didn't make sense because in the, this guy named Dr. Fauci said, this is the premier drug that you could use. And, do not use ivermectin, it was like, ivermectin was demonized, so all these things, right? I'm, I'm telling you this because I'm, I'm, I'm reading you into how I wavered this whole year. Like, I, I would go from anger, like how, and then the way people would talk, or their views, or what they, what they believed, or how they were, they were acting, or what they were wearing. I was getting so angry, and I was getting wrapped up, and I was on these rants. Next thing you know, the Lord's nudging me to take so that was 30 minutes of your rant, and this is really a gospel moment. And so when people should be hearing the gospel, they were hearing conspiracy or whatever, whatever it's called. And so I, I go back and forth. Can I just be honest with you? I'm not, I'm not okay. I wasn't okay. I still struggle with this to this day. And so I go back and forth, and the Lord was saying, I, I, got, I got you right. So I have moments of peace, moments of joy, moments of like just tranquility, and then moments of... I want, to, I want to go after people. Now, if, you, if you and I sat down and we had coffee and I told you my story, I, I would tell you about an injustice that happened early on as a child and several injustices that when I see injustice today, those childhood wounds, it sparks something in me and I just hate it when people are lied to. I hate it when people are deceived. I hate injustice. I want to go after it. And sometimes when I operate out of my wounds that I haven't found the proper healing for, then I'm just, I'm just trying to crush people. Go back. It's, 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 this, it's this ongoing thing. What I found in, in grief is that I've been comforted with 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 my grief in, in several ways. One is through through scripture. Secondly, through people coming alongside me and and, and uh, putting their arm around me. And then I've also been comforted with uh, with God's presence. I remember the day after I was I had walked down to to Cotton's. It's a beach right here. And I was sitting on the shore, and the Lord had given me this verse. It's Isaiah 57, 1. And this was just, it was just an amazing moment. Isaiah 51 says this, 57, 1. The righteous person perishes, and no one takes it to heart. The faithful are taken away, with no one realizing that the righteous person is taken away to be spared from evil. And I was like, wow, that, I've, I've read the Bible a couple times, and I've never seen that verse. But that's how I received it. Um, what do we do? What do we do with with our with our pain? Um, this is when I, I shared my story, right? Um, I was really close to my dad uh, when I moved back here in 2019. We built a friendship, and then and then he got he got sick, right? Um, he was in and out of the hospital, and then after they gave him the remdesivir, I, I was watching him dwindle. I, was like, I didn't recognize him anymore. I was a very strong person, but I was like, who is that? And I did not know what was going on. And then um, there was, when he was cleared, COVID-free, right, uh, we were able to visit him in the hospital. And I remember I was, it, was, it was June 24th. I was sitting in a parking lot off Pico, and, and I kid you not, I was minding my own business, and it was like the Holy Spirit said, get up and go. Go see your dad right now. Nobody texted me. Nobody told me to go to the hospital. It was just this. It was just this feeling of get up and go right now. So I texted Jeanette and I texted my wife and I said, I don't know why I'm crying, but I need to go to the hospital. I'm probably not going to be home for dinner. And I just started driving. And I drove to Kaiser Anaheim and then I saw my mom in, in, the, in the waiting room. And uh, she was surprised that I was there. And then I had my last conversation with my dad. He died about you know 48 hours later. But we were in the hospital visiting him. 
So he dies. Um, it was a Sunday on, on the 27th where, where we were walking into our church and Uncle Mikey woke saying he was, he was sitting here in the first service. I was about to hit into the door of the church and that, it was that same thing, like, we gotta go. So we just turned around right before he entered the building and then I said, hey, Uncle Mikey, we gotta go to the hospital. He goes, I'm praying for you, brother. With tears in his eyes, I'm praying for you. He knew something was wrong and I walked into the hospital there and I didn't know, but I said, hey, how's dad doing? And my mom said, oh, well, he's been promoted to glory. That, that's when I it was like it was like I felt robbed. I felt like someone just kicked me in the chest. You know? And then began that year-long journey of grief. And I just wanted to tell you today where I stand is I'm, I'm at peace. I'm at so much peace. I've, I've received so much comfort, and I want to share that with you today. I want to share it because because if we all told our stories in here, we would we live in a Me Too world, right? Where if you just share your story, someone somewhere will be okay, Me Too. Me too. In this room, I have a friend whose dad was murdered. In this room, I have a friend whose dad suicide. In this room, I have I have friends who have lost their spouses. Way too early. There's all sorts all sorts of reasons. So how does this make sense? How does it make sense that people who mourn are the one that's blessed? The world's perspective. The world's perspective is, is man, it sucks to be that guy. Jesus' perspective is, actually, this is who's blessed. Uh, my favorite, favorite Jesus series is, is The Chosen. Has anybody seen The Chosen? We cry almost every episode. This is like the, the best. They use what's called imaginative prayer. They're just imagining what it was like. And, and, and this one, when Jesus reads the Beatitudes, uh, the last episode of season two, he's Jesus is pouring over like what to say in his Beatitudes. And then as he says these things, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted, blessed are the humble. He's going through and it's as he's saying all these eight Beatitudes, it's flashing on his disciples that, that are following him and showing them. Like, blessed are poor in spirit, or show Nathaniel crying under a, a tree. Blessed are those who mourn, shows uh, Simon and Andrew hugging. Uh, it's, it's just so, it's so real. But these, these beatitudes, okay, where, does, where do we get the word beatitude? Well, uh, the Latin word beatus is, is blessing, but it's really, it was written in Greek, so it's that word makarios, it means blessing. It's really hard to translate words from ancient Greece, Greek into, into 21st century English, right? But the way I can describe, I'm of the view that, that this is talking about uh, joy versus happiness. Even though a lot of people translate this happiness, I think joy... I think happiness is a cheap substitute for joy. Like, when I talk to people, and I, I, I do counseling, it's like, well, people, when they're not happy, they just, they, they, they leave marriages. When they're not happy, they leave jobs. When they're not happy, they just quit on things. But I think happiness is a cheap substitute for joy. See, joy is based off of a perspective, whereas happiness is based off of happenings. So if things aren't going my way, I'm not happy at all. But when things aren't going my way, I can still have joy because joy is based on, on a perspective that God is in control, that this is just temporal. He's taught me to number my days, and there's something of eternal significance being with the Lord forever. The uh, Makarios means spiritually prosperous, and uh, the, the Hebrew word that I would say that's, that's really captures this is shalom. Shalom means peace. 
Shalom is pre-Genesis 3. Before the fall, there was shalom. And when man fell, shalom was shattered. But in these eight categories here of, of blessing, when people are doing these things, they're experiencing a little bit of that shalom, a little bit of that garden of Eden. And then there will be a day when we're removed from here, absent from the Lord face to face, absent from the body face to face with the Lord, where, where shalom will be restored. Amen. Human flourishing, total peace, no pain and suffering. So that's what I think is going on here. I think Jesus, when he, when he talks about these things, he's saying, this is the good life. You want to live the good life? It's not what's, you know, if you look up hashtag blessed, there's 143 million blessed hashtags on, I looked on Instagram. Um, and it's, it's mostly like people at the beach, just like, you know, a little selfie, like in, in, a, in a bathing suit or whatever. Uh, hardly any scripture. On YouTube, there's more sermons. But overall, I think we're missing the mark on what, what it means to be blessed. Blessedness is this, these beatitudes. So our passage is, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So I, I want to break this down in, in the remainder of the time we have here. Um, the word here, blessed are those who mourn. It's this Greek, there's several Greek words for, for mourning. This one, pentheo, is the most intense form of grief. And it's the kind of grief that happens when you lose a loved one. That's the word that Matthew uses here. Blessed are those who have just lost a loved one, someone they love, for they shall be comforted. Now, there's that immediate word. I, I looked up how many times does Matthew use this word in though? He uses it one other time, and it's in Matthew 9, 15. And so I have these two, these two verses, and then I want to know what it says in its immediate context. So, so what does this mourning mean in light of the verse that he just said? Because any text without a context ain't no text. So if we back up one verse, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean to be poor in spirit? How about, how about just, what, what does it mean to be poor? Anybody poor in here? You know, right there, right here, right here, my son, he said, he said, yeah, are we filthy rich? And he said, yes, yes. If you have five dollars in your pocket, you are filthy rich compared to the rest of the world. I've seen some poor places. If you have a dollar, you're filthy rich. But a poor person is someone who, who doesn't have anything. And so they're often begging. They often have nothing to offer. So someone who's poor in spirit really has nothing to offer God. They, they are on the other end where they can only receive. Being poor in spirit is really a state of recognizing my spiritual depravity. Like I have nothing to offer. I, I am just an empty cup. I have nothing to offer you. Unless God fills me with himself, and then I can offer something. I can offer the, the water of, of life, the, the, the living water. I'm thinking of K-Wave. The wave of living water. <laughs> right? Um, I have nothing to offer anybody here today unless God fills me with himself and just quenches your thirst through me as I, as I get out of the way and I let So being poor in spirit means also being humble. I, I'll, I'll turn us to uh, Isaiah 57, 15. And Isaiah is a great book and so many truths that relate to the Beatitudes. For uh, verse 15, 57 and 15, for the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this, I live in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit. That's where God is. He's with the lowly of spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. 
Look at Isaiah 66, 2. Um, oh, uh, 61. There you go. I look favorably on this kind of person, the one who is humble, submissive in spirit. So if someone's going to be poor in spirit, it's a person that really recognizes uh, their state. They desperately need God. I remember one time, well, for years, right? Jesus was kind of my Savior. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't fully my Savior. He was kind of my Savior. And I remember we, we used to live in Hawaii, thanks to you taxpayers. They fly us over there. But I was stationed in Hawaii, and I had learned that um, Jesus was kind of my Savior. And, and a guy came into my life that mentored me that said, hey, why don't you cross this line into being fully known by your spouse? And I was like, no way. Because uh, I don't want to be fully known. I want to, I, I, and I was 99% known. But when I crossed over, what did it for me is, I remember the night when I said, Jesus, if you're real, I really trust that you're going to you're gonna take care of me. So I'm crossing this line. It was the scariest thing I'd ever done. And when I crossed over that line from being kind of known, fully known, Jesus was moved from being my kind of savior to being my full savior. And I said, like, you better be real, Jesus. You better be real, because I'm going, I'm going all in. And that's why I encourage all of us to just jump in. But Jesus is going to have to be fully your savior. If he's kind of your savior, he's not the savior. If he's kind of your savior, you're not, you're not spiritually poor. You have to know that your bank, your bank account is empty. You have nothing to offer. If the plan of salvation is a chain, and the chain is only as strong as its weakest link, that means we have nothing. We have no part in this thing. We have nothing to add to God's salvation plan. Right? That's what it means to be poor in spirit. So I'm reading "Blessed are those who mourn" in light of that poor in spirit passage. Now you see what it, you see how we do Bible study now. Like every text in the context, it's going to shed light on it. The Bible is the best commentary for the Bible. So now watch this. Blessed are those who mourn. What else can we be mourning besides losing a loved one? What about mourning being more in spirit? What about mourning my sin? What about mourning, like, I don't know how many times I've texted you know, Jared or, or Nate about, like, dude, I can't believe I did, I messed up again. Like, such a bad parent. Or I email, text Frank, my buddy, like, dude, am I ever going to get this thing right? And we're always, we're, we're mourning our sin together, really. And it brings us together, and it offers us an opportunity to get our eyes up. And then here's the most freeing thing for me when I go, you know what? I can't do this parenting thing. I can't do this marriage thing. I wasn't meant to do it by myself. I was meant to let God do it through me. Right? That, that can be the most freeing thing to say, I actually can't. But God can. Okay, God, you do it through me then. You can express love and grace and peace to this person, through this, to this child, through me. I guess I'll submit. I'll get out of the way and die to myself and you just do it through me. In me and through me. You know what I mean? Like, fill me up and, and overflow. So, uh, when we're thinking about mourning, right? Mourning, being poor in spirit, mourning because we've lost a loved one, um, for they will be comforted. Now, this word here is, is it's made up of two Greek words, para, kaleo, it means to call alongside. And uh, the word for Holy Spirit is actually paraclete, so it's like call aside this helper. So it's those who mourn will be comforted, meaning those who are mourning, God comes right alongside them, and that's where he is. That's his presence. And I've, I've experienced this. I've experienced this kind of comfort through people in my mourning. 
in this in this past year, I have people have been giving me verses. People have been giving me encouragement. Um, this uh, morning, let me turn us to Isaiah uh, sixty-one two. Isaiah sixty-one two. Look at this passage. Um, Remember, Jesus read this in his first sermon when he was given the scroll of Isaiah, and he turned to the 61st chapter, and he found on the scroll where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty over the captives, and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God, and uh, the day of the Lord's favor. And he stops. He stops. But if you keep reading this passage, here's what it says. To proclaim the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all those who mourn, to provide those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair, and they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. So why does Jesus stop reading at this passage right here? And then we can see what he's saying here. This is a future time. So it makes me think of Revelation when he will wipe away all of our tears. So how long does our grief last? Well, it, it, it lasts until the point you get to see the Lord. Like, you, like your, your grief and my grief only last as long as the person is gone that we love. And grief is a choice. We grieve because we love. And the more we love, the more we grieve. So grieving is a good thing. Grieving is a very good thing. So in, the, in context, right, we looked at the, the, the micro context, uh, a bigger context. I want to show you what, what, what I think the, the bigger picture is here um, of grief. There's two types of grief in the New Testament in Paul's writings. There's godly grief and there's worldly grief. But here's what it says about godly grief. 2 Corinthians 7, I'll read 9 and 10. Now I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God will, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. Verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. Godly grief gets our eyes on, on, on Jesus, gets our eyes on, on community, on, on connecting. Worldly grief produces death. Grieving over our sin produces repentance. Grieving over over getting caught for sin or something like that, that, that only produces more death. So this changes my perspective on grief. If, if my grief, if I'm grieving, which, which grieving over a loss of a loved one reminds me of another type of grief, which is grieving over my sin and my spiritual uh, poverty, then it puts me in right in the community. I mean, our pain is, is for a purpose. Our pain is not purposeless. And when, when we take our pain and we take it to the Lord, we can find healing. We can find healing in Jesus' name. Uh, like I said, there were, there were several ways where I was, I was comforted. I kept a journal. I, kept, uh, I, I went to a couple of retreats. Like uh, several of you here, like my mom would go to go to grief share. I'm part of a grief uh, study group on the Bible lab. I went to a retreat one time where they, they had us. We we journaled and 
it was write a letter to to your loved one. I mean, it was my dad. It was it was pretty healing. And then they switched it at that. They said, once you're done with that, now write a letter from him to you. Mm-hmm. So you got to pray. I'll show you that journal. It was pretty epic. He told me basically he's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had another friend that told me, he goes, you know, Ryan, your dad misses you, but not enough to want to come back to this place. <laughs> and I laughed when I heard that. And I was like, that's true. Like, what am I, what am I so caught with? There's a million ways to die. Probably a billion. Let me tell you, not a single one of those surprises God. Not a single one. There's not a death where God goes, didn't see that one coming. (laughs) What are we going to do? No, it's, you know what, I'm going to take this person when they're in the womb. I'm going to take them when they're in the womb. I'm going to take this person when they're 99 or 100. I'm going to take this person on their 66th birthday. This is going to look like an accident, but I assure you, it was appointed for man to die once and after that face judgment. I assure you I'm in full control. But that's where my mind wavers. I, I, I go from like, well, why? It doesn't make any sense. I go back to the problem of evil to like, all right, Lord, um, you, you've, you've called my dad to yourself. I was uh, sitting on a bench with, uh, with an Air Force chaplain, and he shared with me this verse. Because right now I have a verse to share with you, and I go, bring it. And I've never seen this verse before. Can you imagine this? Like, I've read the Bible at least once. And he showed me this verse I've never seen. The death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. And then right after that, I got this vision of, of a grandpa like going down on his knees, and his grandchildren are running after me, and he goes, he goes, oh my gosh, I missed you so much. I'm dying to see you. That's the image that I got. And for and for death to be the means by which God says, ah, oh, man, I missed you. I couldn't wait for you to come home. And we're on the other side saying, hey, what's up? And he's like, this is pleasing to me. Death is the means by which we get ushered into God's presence, then we can bring it. And, and it's really hard to fathom, too, because there's no time in heaven. So it's like, do we get there at the same time? Or are they up there like, hurry up, I'm waiting for you guys. Or is it just like we just show them, like, hey, we're all here at the same time. And people haven't been there for a million years. It's just, I don't know, there's just no time. So I think about these things a lot. I do this in community. And and I think the Beatitudes as well is is just these, these categories where it's just of people who show up exactly where they are. And I'm encouraging you to do that today, like, and every day. Wherever you're at, just say, God, this is where I'm at. I'm struggling, and that's where you're at. And maybe he might reveal to you a check engine light. Or maybe there's some sort of wound that hasn't been addressed, and then you're like me, and you're operating out of the wounds. But when you dig down deep into the healing power of Jesus and into his word, you find healing, and then that pain is transferred into something with purpose. Like, I found my life mission through through my pain. Like my, my life mission, my goal, and if you don't have one, I encourage you to write one. As a marked man for Christ, husband and father, I co-create a world of freedom and vision by turning my ears into graves where people can bury their problems and begin healing. That's my life mission. I wouldn't have that mission if it wasn't for some of the pain that experience, which is temporal anyways. So, 
closing, just pain, pain serves a purpose. I, I, I promise you that, that your pain is not without purpose. When the Jews in the first century heard this, you know what they're thinking? Right? When a Jew in the first century is hearing Jesus talk about this, they're preoccupied with, Jesus, when is this tyranny going to end? When is this oppressive government going to be overruled? When are you going to kick these guys out of office? When are you going to get rid of these senseless mandates? They're all thinking this. Can anybody relate to that? They're thinking the same thing. I mean, other than Germany. You know what happened eight years ago in Germany? Horrific. Talk about injustices. Talk about oppression. Talk, it's, it's what I call the same poop, different scoop. Like all throughout history, you see this oppression, oppression, and people are crying out to God, please stop the madness. And he's up there the whole time saying, I've got it under control. I'm in control. Death, I don't know how death turned into like this. We got, Christians got scared of getting sick and dying. But that's not something to be scared of if you're a Christian. If you're, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then there's some questions that you might have to be wrestling with. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's in control. And absent from the body, he's face to face with the Lord. I, I encourage us today to, to turn to Jesus in our, in our pain, to, to tell him exactly where you're at, and then, and then grieve together. In the book of Romans, mourn with those who mourn, grieve with those who grieve, rejoice with those who rejoice. I encourage us. That's my charge to so Let's do this together. And as we do this, and as we tell each other where we're at, and say, okay, hey, me too, we're going to find so much healing. Imagine what this community would look like if we all showed up and we did that. Confess one to another to find healing. Can I pray for us? Father, thank you. Thank you for everything that we experience in our lives that points us back to you. Lord, some of us in here are hurting, and the grief is, is intense and it's real, and we receive your comfort through that. We grieve our sin, we grieve our circumstances, Lord, but we know that also you are in control. So as we experience your healing and, and your, your words of, of comfort, Lord, um, just be with us, please. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Amen.